and on the on uh, many boxes of cereal and other products that we buy at the grocery store, there is a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you're not happy with this product, you take it back, and they'll give you your money back, or they'll replace it, no questions asked. So a guarantee for a $4 box of cereal. You may have a new car, and I have seen car commercials that said, 30 day, we will buy your car back if you don't like it after 30 days, or a mattress, or something more expensive than cereal. You know, it's like, okay, that's a pretty good guarantee. I heard of a friend who had a guarantee on a couch that um, the company that he bought it from had a guarantee, but the company went out of business. Guess what happened to his guarantee? It was no good. Or last year when Hurricane Ian hit Florida, uh, September 28th, 2022, a friend of mine who lives in that area said, you can drive around, and this was this year that this friend told me, and there are blue tarps as roofs on a lot of houses. You know why, he said? Because the insurance companies went out of business. That's not a great guarantee. We sang songs this morning about guarantees, complete in thee. Jesus completes his work in me. Christ is mine forevermore. My chains are gone. I've been set free. And there are many other lyrics that we sang. We're actually going to sing a song in the middle of my message. I couldn't pick one closing song. I have two. So we're going to sing one in the middle, and we'll sing one at the end. And uh, hopefully that'll help us uh, uh, stay engaged and wide awake, hopefully. All right, Romans chapter 4. We read 13 to 25, and if your Bible is like mine, it has a chapter paragraph break at verse 16. So if you look at verse 16, you will see uh, that's the same paragraph that verse 25 ends. It's one long paragraph uh, in the ESV, or maybe uh, your translation has that as well. And if you look at verse 16, it, it depends on faith, that salvation depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Now, it's one thing to be guaranteed a $4 box of cereal. It's another thing to be guaranteed that the car dealership's going to buy your car back. It's another guarantee that your roof's going to be covered in the case of a hurricane hitting your neighborhood. All those, though, are temporary guarantees. When it comes to our eternal salvation, every world religion will not guarantee you salvation. And when you tell them that you are a hundred percent sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven, they look at you like, <laughs> where'd you come up with that? And we say, it's in God's word. And so we'll see three guarantees today in our three verses of verses 23 to 25. And 23 says, the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. So we have to understand it was counted to him for righteousness. This is Abraham's testimony in the Old Testament. And this is from Genesis 15, 6. So I'm going to assume, because Paul writes this uh, for us to read, and he wrote it for the Romans to read, 
that God somehow communicated to Abraham when he was saved. Because it was guaranteed from Abraham, Genesis 15, 6 on, that he had God's righteousness applied to him. It's written for us. It's reiterated for us here in Romans, in Galatians, and I believe uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, that this was the moment of Abraham's salvation. And Abraham knew that God gave him his righteousness. But as we read Genesis 15, 6, and as we read Romans 1 to 4 now, we need some guarantee as well that it's not just for Abraham, that Abraham got God's righteousness. Now, that we're glad for Abraham. We'll see him in heaven. But we want to guarantee that our salvation, that we can get God's righteousness as well. So that's what Paul's saying here. When God writes for Abraham, that comforted Abraham, he could sing songs like we sang this morning, that he is, his hope is sure, he's confident, Christ will hold him fast, God will hold him fast, he has God's righteousness, but it's not written for his sake alone. So Paul's going to end this chapter with verse 24, it's for ours also. Romans 15 is going to tell us about the Old Testament and why we have the Old Testament. And so, understanding the guarantee of our salvation. Why do we need this guarantee? Well, we're all weak. Do you know the future? Do you know who's going to win the 2024 election? Do you know who's going to be in the presidential election in 2024? You know what? You don't know. I don't know either. And at this point, watching the news, the more you watch the news, the more unsure you are of who's going to be the presidential candidates next year. You don't even know next year. But I can guarantee you this. If, if God's righteousness is applied to your account, a thousand years from now, you'll be enjoying Christ, your treasure forevermore in heaven. That's a guarantee. How do we know that we can be guaranteed that heaven is ours? If we were to die in our sleep tonight, that we would wake up in heaven. How do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? The verses that were written about Abraham's life and his salvation weren't just written for him. They were written for you and I as a guarantee that we can have the same faith as Abraham and the same righteousness of God from Abraham and we can be 100% sure of our salvation. 100% guaranteed. And our salvation isn't $4. It's not like a roof or a car. It's eternity. So guarantee number one. In this text, our salvation matches the Old Testament salvation. And when we see the Old Testament, we see our faith, and it, our faith, and Abraham doesn't have perfect faith, but he has faith in a perfect God. And when he has faith alone in a perfect God, that perfect God gives him his righteousness. And now Abraham is still, after you can look at Genesis 15, and after Genesis 15, Abraham still lies about Sarah being his wife after 
he is converted. He still struggles with faith in God, but he's growing stronger, this passage says, in his faith. Until we get to Genesis 22 when God says, take Isaac, the son that you love, and go offer him as a sacrifice, a burnt offering, which means he's got to kill him and he's got to completely consume his body with fire. And Abraham doesn't delay. He wakes up early the next morning and starts the three-day journey. He's growing strong in his faith. He is guaranteed salvation. And our salvation matches the Old Testament way of salvation. That's guarantee number one. That's what we see in verse 23. Verse 24 says, but it's written for our guarantee also. And what does he say in verse 24 about the guarantee? It will be counted to us who believe in him. In him, it's not capitalized in the ESV. I'd like for it to be capitalized. Him is God the Father here. How do we know it's God the Father? Well, keep reading in verse 24. Counted to us who believe in him, God the Father, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Okay, the Father raises the Son. Multiple times in the New Testament, you'll see this language that the Father raises the Son. So what guarantee does that give us of our salvation? Well, let's read it again. It will be counted to us. Now, everything about this passage was counted to Abraham, counted to his offspring. But now it's saying it's counted to us. Who's the us? Well, it tells us. Counted to us who believe. Believing in whom? Believing in the Father. Are you believing in God the Father for him to give you his righteousness? It's a simple question, but you, I can't answer it for you. Your parents can't answer it for you. Your spouse can't answer it for you. Your children can't answer it for you. You have to answer it for you. Are you believing that God will give you his righteousness if you trust him alone? Simple question, hopefully with a simple answer for you. We make it hard. And when we make it hard, the guarantee kind of, fades but as we sang this morning we sang some sure lyrics that are based on good truth about god our father provides our salvation now this is not like me providing my kids something i have not promised to pay for my kids college you know why because i look at my income and i look at the price of college and i say you know what something's not going to match up here we're going to eat and pay the electric bills, <laughs> or we're going to send you to college. You pick. Food or tuition. The other thing is you can er earn your way through college, and you can work really hard. So I don't have the means to provide even for my kids' college, and that's okay. But I'm not. The Father in heaven is not weak like I am. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but he also has all of the righteousness of the universe at his disposal, and he will give it to whoever believes in him. And what facet of our salvation and of our knowledge of who God is that encourages us to believe in him alone? Keep reading in verse 24. Who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Are you struggling to understand how powerful God is? 
He raised Jesus from the dead. Have you ever been to a funeral where anyone is raised from the dead? No. There's only seven resurrections in the Bible, not counting those, the many who were raised at Jesus' death. We're not sure how many there were there, but only seven. And every single one of them, imagine you going to a funeral today, and the person in the casket, while the, 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 the preacher is speaking, opens his eyes and sits up. Everybody's probably going to be gone. Like, what's going on? We're out of here. You just don't see that. In Jesus' day, the same way. He stops the funeral procession of the widow of Nain's son, raises him from the dead. Jairus' daughter, privately, in her bedroom, raises her from the dead. Lazarus, publicly, raises him from the dead. Remarkable. Paul raises one person from the dead, Eutychus, and Peter, one person, Dorcas. And that, I believe, are the five resurrections of the New Testament. Always miraculous. Always a demonstration of the power of the Father. Do you struggle to doubt? Do you struggle with doubt that the Father can provide your salvation? Well, I struggle with it. I told you about it a week or two ago. Because my faith was in me, not in the Father who can raise Jesus our Lord from the dead. Go back to verse 17 of Romans 4. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. This is God's promise to Abraham. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, the God in whom Abraham believed is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, there were resurrections, a few. There were three in the Old Testament. So I said, I said there were seven. There's eight. Three in the Old Testament, one by Elijah, two by Elisha, and then five in the New Testament by name that we know. And yet, those resurrections, as we learn from Colossians, aren't the firstborn from the dead. They aren't the preeminent resurrection. They're a taste, they're a shadow of what is coming. When Jesus dies on the cross and he cries out it is finished and the rocks are splitting and it's dark, there's an earthquake, the graves, a lot of people are resurrected and they stay in the tomb. Do you know why they stay in the tomb for three days? Because Jesus is preeminent and his resurrection comes first. And then those people come out of their tombs and present themselves. You can read it in Matthew. It's remarkable. Showing the power of God. And the power of God in the resurrection. That is the Father who provides our salvation. That's the Father who gives us his righteousness. Is he weak? Absolutely not. Why? Because raising the dead is not hard for God, and it's impossible for all of us. Calling things into existence that don't exist is not hard for God, and it's impossible for all of us. He's the creator. He's also the resurrector. 
The Father is the one who provides our salvation. He is the one who counts it righteousness. He's the one who puts the righteousness of Christ on our account. Is anything too hard for him? No. How do we know there's nothing too hard for him? Because he raises the dead. Our Father provides our salvation. But it's not a salvation that is attached to the resurrections of the Old Testament or the five other resurrections of the New Testament. No, the resurrection that that guarantees our faith is not that someone in the Old Testament or someone in the time of Christ was resurrected. Look at what our trust, our guarantee is in verse 24. Who believe in him, the father who raised from the dead, not the widow's son, not Lazarus. Those were all sinners. He raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord. Our Lord, that is the word master, a master who owns slaves. And we'll see in in Romans uh, 10 how we become saved is that we say Jesus is Lord. He's our master. We sang about Jesus being our treasure. If Jesus isn't your treasure, you probably don't have God's righteousness. When you do have God's righteousness, you're going to love Jesus more and more and more. You're going to love that the Father gave you Jesus' righteousness. So we believe that the, in the Father, we believe that the Father raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. The people, other people in the Bible that were resurrected are not our Lord. The, our, our salvation isn't attached to their resurrection. Our salvation is attached to Jesus, our Lord's resurrection, and our Father raising him from the dead. And this is a guarantee. Our Father provides our salvation. Verse 25 third guarantee. There's two here. Jesus, our Lord, was delivered. That's the who there. Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If you are memorizing and you want to memorize some of Romans, Let me recommend verse 26 of chapter 3, verse 17 of chapter 4, and verse 25 of chapter 4. Summarizing all of salvation in two phrases. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The guarantee number three here, our Savior, what he accomplished for our salvation. Guarantee number three is our salvation is dependent on what the Father provides and what the Son does. What does the Son accomplish when he comes to earth? He is delivered up. That is the cross, okay? At the cross is what? He's delivered up for our trespasses. Up to this point in Romans, we feel really, really guilty We're all trespassers. 
We're all guilty before God. There is no one righteous. No, not one. No one has his own righteousness. We are desperate for God to give us his righteousness. And how does he give us his righteousness? It's by faith. And how do we know that our faith, when we trust God alone, that he will give us Christ's righteousness? Well, we have to look at what Christ did while he was on earth. And it's summarized in verse 25. Jesus was delivered up. He went to the cross. He would not be talked out of going to the cross because he knew this plan of the Father. The Son who knew no sin becomes sin for us. He died for our sins. This matches what we see in Isaiah 53. That he, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on our Savior all of our iniquity. And when he takes our sin on himself, on the tree, he switches places with the worst of sinners. He gives us his righteousness and he takes all the filth of our sin the sins of the whole world, on himself, on the tree. And we're going to sing our first of our closing songs now, His Robes for Mine. We'll stand. His Robes for Mine, a wonderful exchange. We'll sing the first two stanzas, then the chorus, then stanzas three and four, and then the chorus. Count of the crucifixion, Jesus cries out, paid in full. Christ's payment for our sins on the cross was a full payment. What the Savior accomplished for us on the cross was completely paying for your sin and mine. It's not 99% paid and you've got to do the rest. It is 100% payment. And therefore, it is a 100% guarantee. What else your Savior accomplished, what our Savior accomplished is in verse 25, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Look back at verse 24. We must believe when we believe in God alone, God's raising from the dead Jesus, our Lord. When Jesus comes alive on that Sunday morning, our justification, our righteousness from God is guaranteed. That's what he's saying here. What the Savior accomplishes on the cross is the full payment of our sin. And God wants us to know what Jesus accomplished with the empty tomb is the guarantee that God will give us Jesus' righteousness if we will trust in him alone. That's what we see here. It is that simple. So what this is why the cross and the empty tomb are so important. 
And this is why in the summary of the gospel, when you and I share the gospel, we have to tell them, yes, you are a sinner. Yes, that you are lost. Yes, though, faith alone and Christ alone. What about Christ, his death, and his resurrection? And this is what you'll see over and over again in the New Testament, especially in Romans 10.9 that we'll get to in a few months. Our Savior accomplishes our salvation. Now, if our salvation is on what God the Father provides and what God the Son accomplishes, now you and I can see how our salvation is 100% guaranteed. Because there's not weak human involvement here. Here is the Almighty Father who can raise people from the dead and bring into existence things that don't exist. Our salvation relies on Him and Him alone. And then He sends His Son, and His Son knows that He has to be delivered up for our trespasses. And He knows that on the third day He's going to rise again. And he knows that we as weak human beings are going to struggle with what salvation is, how it is accomplished. And it is accomplished by our Savior's full payment for our sin on the cross. And then guarantee that the Father will give us Jesus' righteousness. How do we know that he will give us his righteousness? By raising him from the dead. I hope it's clear not of works you put human trust in any of that equation you don't have the 100 percent guarantee you null and void the gospel it's a different gospel as galatians 1 would say the true gospel is what we just read in romans 4 designed carried out by the father and the son and therefore 100% guarantee is ours. So if you're here today or you're watching and you are not 100% sure that you have God's righteousness, you're going about trying to obey laws, you make sure you're a good person, you make sure you get people around you that tell you you're a good person, feel good about yourself, And you, if I were to ask you, if you were to die today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? You'd say, "Ah, I hope so. Maybe. That's not good enough. Because God says it's 100% guaranteed to all who are offspring of Abraham. Same faith as Abraham in the same God. We're trusting in the Messiah who has come. Lived a perfect life. Died a horrible death. For our trespasses. And he was raised so that we would be guaranteed we would have God's righteousness. If you're not sure that God has given you all the proof you need, well, I'll say, God has given you all the proof you need in his word. Old Testament story, New Testament application. God has given you all the proof you need in the person of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. So what is your responsibility? 
according to, let's go back to Romans 2, 4 and 5. In the middle of us being convicted of our sin, we're lawbreakers, we're trespassers, we do things that we know is wrong, we offend our conscience all the time and hope to get away with it, we judge other people who are doing wickedness. In the middle of this section of Romans, verse 4 says of Romans 2, 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? This is God. The powerful God of Romans 4 is the kind, forbearing, patient God of chapter 2. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. If you will not trust in Christ alone, you will not repent either. If you are living in sin and you know it and it doesn't bother you, you are likely not a Christian. You're doing things in private that you know are wrong. You think, yeah, everybody does this. That's how the world thinks. That is not how Christians think. Why? Because our chains are gone. We've been set free. And to repent means to change your mind about how you get saved and how your righteousness might be like a scale or how your sin is no big deal. Change your mind about all of that. Your sin is an awful deal. Your sin is the reason the cross was horrible for Jesus. And my sin is the reason the nails hurt. The wrath of God had to be poured out for my sin and your sin on the cross. This is why repentance is the only appropriate response when we think of the cross. Change your mind. Your sin is awful. Your disobedience to God and his son is disgusting. Agree with God against yourself that you are a lost sinner. Ask him, throw yourself on his mercy. That's repentance. A godly sorrow that leads to a change of mind about your sin and how you can be good enough to earn your salvation. You've got to change your mind about all of that. And then from 322 of Romans and all of chapter 4, you'll see this theme, faith, trust, belief, trust in Christ alone. When you and I trust in Christ alone, that is when God rescues us. That is when he counts his righteousness on our account. That is when our debt against a holy God is completely paid that is when Jesus sacrificed on the cross. He paid for your trespasses. Personally, you, your personal sin, your private sin. And there are, I, I think, there are people that claim to be Christian, and they're not. They love their sin, and they despise their Savior because he's not theirs. They've never repented. They've never trusted in Christ alone. Now, I don't say this to scare you. 
and to doubting your salvation when you truly are. I want you to doubt your salvation if you're not really saved. Because we're doing you no favors for you to come here and worship with us week in and week out, and you have no love for Jesus. No love for his word. No love for his people. And it's all fake. One day, God will divide the fakers from the true children of God. And Jesus tells a story about that with the wheat and the tares. If you're not 100% sure, you're not trusting in Christ alone, today can be the day of your salvation. Please talk to myself, one of the elders, our wives, a godly friend here that can help walk you through Romans 1 to 4 and help your salvation today to be guaranteed. Now, if you're struggling with assurance that you have God's righteousness, and I told you about my story, and most young people that get saved at an early age, I don't remember what I prayed. I, don't, I was four years old. I don't remember all the gross sin I was in at age three and four, and my brothers probably could tell you uh, what it was, my parents. But at age four is when I turned from my sin. I trusted in Christ alone. I remember exactly what I prayed. But the more I study Romans and other passages of Scripture, my salvation isn't attached to, I said the exact right words, the right way. I had enough tears, enough emotional sorrow. No. My res- well, let's compare our responsibility. My responsibility is turn from my sin, repentance, we just talked about, and faith in God alone. And you ask me, are you sorry for your sin? Yeah. When I still sin, are you still sorry for that sin? Yeah. This is how believers look at their sin. We don't like it. We still sin, but we don't like it. We don't want to sin. And then if you were to ask me, when I stand before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? I'm not going to say anything about my works, anything about my vocation, anything about anything I have done as, that has zero effect on my salvation. What is my salvation in? Christ alone. That's it. I've had people say, a long list of things they've done, and then they turn the question on me. So what would you say if you're standing before God? I say, it's Christ alone. And I want to say to them, now which sounds more simple? <laughs> it sounds more simple that you're just trusting Christ alone, but you know it's impossible, hard for you because of pride. Pride will keep you from repentance. and cr- Pride will keep you trusting in yourself and God instead of trusting in God alone. So it's this simple. Your responsibility is repentance and faith in God alone. And Christ's accomplishments, all of the heavy lifting for our salvation. Full payment for sin at the cross. Full payment. Notice the capital, full. It's like I'm yelling at you, full! Full payment for sin. And proof. What's the proof that the Father accepted the full payment? He raised Jesus from the dead. There's the proof. So if you're trusting in Christ alone, you've been sorry for your sin, 
and trusting in God alone, what he accomplished through Christ, those two things. You can have assurance. You have salvation. So instead of, and I have had to switch gears, because there are still days that I struggle with my assurance of salvation. Instead of looking back and scraping the insides of my mind or heart to see if I really repented or really trusted fully, instead of looking at myself, I look at the cross. I look at the empty tomb. Instead of doubting my salvation, I start thanking God for Christ's full payment on the cross. And I thank God for what he accomplished by raising him from the dead. Let's pray. Father, your love is deep and vast. Thank you so much for sending Christ pay for our sins on the cross and then be resurrected to prove that we can be justified and sanctified and God accepted your payment on the cross for our sins. Thank you that it's simple. I pray for those here who are still trying to make salvation complicated. that They would see the simplicity of repentance and faith in you and you've done all the hard things to rescue them from themselves from their doubts, from their own minds, from their own trust. Help them to trust in you alone. Help them to be sorry for all their sin. Thank you for salvation. In Christ's name, amen.